Hi everyone, it's Raghu Marcus with Ramdas here and now, another episode. It's kind of a timely episode actually, in that we are in the middle of our Ramdas Solstice Mindfulness and Meditation course. Those of you who are in that course, this will be a a great talk to listen to that really connects with uh, everything in the course because it's around spiritual practice. And this was a a talk from uh, 1976. Before I get into the details of that, I want to, you of course are, are hearing our partner, about our partner, 1440 Multiversity, uh, on our podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And I just wanted to mention, there's a couple of people coming up uh, as a part of their schedule of uh, weekend workshops that I wanted to mention because I think that you would, uh, especially if in the area or if you're going to be out in California, 1440 is in the Santa Cruz, California area. Uh, One of the people that's going to be there uh, early fall is uh, Eben Alexander, Dr. Eben Alexander, who uh, I just did a podcast with on mind rolling. For those of you who are familiar with mind rolling, you'll be able to go there and listen to that podcast which will be up at around the same time as this podcast with Ramdas. And uh, Eben Alexander is amazing in that he went into a coma through uh, contact, contracting a very rare disease, at least for a man of his age. And uh, he, he went to the other side and lived to tell about it and came back and wrote this incredible book. So uh, he's going to be there in September, and many of you know who Neil Donald Walsh is. He'll be there also in September. Neil has written a host of excellent self-help books and is a very, very wise person. So uh, you'll be able to uh, just go to 1440multiversity.org and... uh, you'll be able to see the exact schedule. Uh, there's also someone I've known for a long time because he used to play with Krishna Das way back in the day. His name is Girish, and he's doing a kirtan camp. And for those of you, and that's going to be at the end of August, for those of you that uh, love chanting, this is a great opportunity. He's very talented on a host of different instruments and has some great kirtan. So, Girish at 1440Multiversity. Let's see. Got a couple other th- announcements here. Uh, Ramdas and Mirabai Bush have a new book, and it is now available for pre-order called Walking Each Other Home. It's this uh, just fabulous uh, like an ongoing conversation, you get really not only a lot of wisdom from Ramdas and Mirabai about love and death, which is what this is all about, but you also get a really great glimpse, even more than a glimpse, <laughs> at Ramdas's uh, 
how he lives, what his day-to-day life is like. It's really quite, quite wonderful, as well as key teachings from pre-stroke that are part of uh, the narrative in the book. So, walking each other home. Just go to ramdas.org and... uh, You'll just get a see a banner right at the top, and it'll link you over to the landing page, which will give you more of an idea of some of the things that are in the book, and also you'll be able to pre-order it there. Uh, by the way, the pre-order is super important uh, in order for the uh, big distri- vendors, you know, like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all of that. Uh, the more pre-orders that are there, the more books they, that they will take and the more visibility and the more awareness that will be out there. So it will really help make this uh, book uh, a success for Ramdas and Mirabai. And last but not least, because it involves me, 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 <laughs> it's uh, the Himalayan Yatra. There's still a few places open. We're going to be leaving at the end of September Saraswati Marcus and I, my beautiful wife, and we will be, as you've heard before, following in Ramdas's footsteps through the foothills of the Himalayas, the places where, uh, when I went back, when he went back the second time, and I followed him along with others that you know, like Krishna Das, and we just uh, will be imbuing ourselves with the vibrations of the uh, of that area which is called Deva Bhumi Land of the Gods which is a beautiful book by the way by KK Shah Ramdas's Indian brother and our mentor for all these years uh, so it's a very very obviously a very special place where not only Maharaji but other siddhas stayed and uh, gave of themselves in this very powerful region. You can go to nourishinglife.com slash yatra, Y-A-T-R-A, and get more information on that. Okay, that's all the commercials that we're allowed (laughs) to uh, broadcast at this point. And uh, now now I said before this... uh, talk uh, from Ramdas, which is around spiritual practice, is really key for those people that are taking the Solstice Meditation course at this point, and that's our midsummer course uh, from Ramdas. But it doesn't matter if you're not taking this course because you either forgot to sign up or you're too busy or whatever. This talk has so much in it around why we do spiritual practice, what are the options for us, the fact that we sometimes will start out doing pr- spiritual practice for the wrong reasons. Uh, like, uh, okay, we're going to do, l- like me, I started out doing transcendental meditation, 20 minutes, two times a day, and uh, doing the meditation in order to get back out into that world and do it a lot better. And uh, my motivation actually had other motivations with it. Uh, some of it is scatological, and I won't mention it here uh, in uh, relation to what I really thought meditation was about back then, but I was pretty young. But even so, as time passes... 
I mean, you're doing this meditation maybe for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's, it's just, a, a, as people would say, a spiritual bypass. Just uh, It's kind of like mindfulness these days when you read about uh, all of the uh, stockbrokers. We're going to do mindfulness, we're going to get more focused, and we're going to be able to make more money. But as time passes, somehow the clinging in that sense loosens. And that's the process of the practice. Even though not necessarily done for, quote-unquote, the right reasons, pretty soon a shift happens, and the practice takes on a different shape and quality you actually begin to inhabit a meditative space of awareness. And once that weight is shifted, uh, you start to have a perspective which is quite different than the one you had before you actually started meditation, even if it wasn't for the right reasons, as I've said, as Ram Dass talks about here. Um, now, there's a certain rate of, at which all of this happens due to our karmas and samskaras, uh, proclivities that we have brought into this incarnation from previous ones, as well as what all of the learned habitual patterns that we uh, take on in this life through our family, culture, society. So, one thing that's so important here that Ram Dass talks about in this in this lecture, honesty. That's the one thing Ramdas brought back that I think is just so powerful. It was so powerful for me when I first heard him speak. I was taken by his honesty about where he was at and where he was not as a teacher, as a human being, as a person on the path. And that has stuck with me to this day. In fact, uh, these podcasts that I do here with uh, introducing Ramdas or, or actually doing podcasts with Ramdas on Here and Now, as well as mind rolling, uh, I, I stick as much as I can, as much awareness as I have about being honest with myself about all of this stuff. So I, I, that is, I can't more highly praise Ramdas for that uh, honesty that he carries to this day. Um, let's see, what else is in here? Uh, talks about the highs and the lows, you know, how we all want to get high. We have experiences either that have been through psychedelics and uh, we want to grab back at it. And uh, But uh, they wear off. And then suddenly, especially when they wear off, the low is very low. Uh, and so the next stage is you realize that the lows, um, you know, soon you have awareness. And that awareness allows you to just get a little bit behind the experience of the lows so you're not completely caught in them. And uh, that awareness be really takes you to... Uh, another stage where you're looking and you're going, well, all I want to do is clean up my lows. And I, that's the path. And that moment, you are more hooked on awareness of these lows than running after the highs. That, that's a, a, a major stage. And again, you can't force it. It is something that you become aware of. And as your uh, the rate at which you can go 
you you become one with that rate and you're not pushing and pulling you're eager to get free so you start looking at all these stuck places yeah. so then the perception and all and all of this is determined by motiv- motivation motivation is extremely important so we get awareness of what that our motivations are i could go on and on here and it's uh, i know you're all going okay just play the damn thing uh, but I get so turned on by uh, the richness of, of what Ramdas delivers in, in these talks. It's, and I've said a billion times, I, I am um, shocked myself at the variance in his ability to talk about s- different subjects from so many different angles and make it clear. So um, is there anything else here? Uh, oh, yeah. Because we always talk, one thing we always talk about is what is a teacher and what is a te- what can a teacher give to you, share with you, and what is an enlightened being, a liberated being? And he talks here about a liberated being is a being who clings nowhere, not to enlightenment nor to the illusion. Okay, so clinging, which is a lot of what Ramdas talks about in here, uh, is the the awareness of it and the the way to extricate ourselves through uh, from this clinging is spiritual practice, and it always goes back to that. So here it is. This is actually from what April twenty sixth, nineteen seventy six. And uh, Ramdas on spiritual practice. So, look forward to seeing you all on the Be Here Now Network on Ramdas Here and Now, and all of the other shows that we have. Very rich. If you're new to this, just go to beherenownetwork.com and look at all the wonderful teachers from Krishnadas to Sharon Salzberg to. Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein. Uh, it's uh, amazing. And check out my mind-rolling podcast while you're at it. See you next week. So there is a, an honesty about the spiritual path that will creep up on you, whether you phony it first or not. It's the same with the way of dealing with all of your desire systems. You see, you can do the whole game of spiritual practice out of guilt, out of ego, out of ought and should and must, out of of wanting to appear a certain way to other people, even to God. But what the essence is, is the motivation. That's what the matter is. It's not only what the matter is, it's what the matter is. And so you ultimately go through doing it for one reason, then often throwing it over, going away from it, and then coming back to exactly the same practice, but from an entirely different space, from an entirely different reason. Now, it's a very subtle matter. For example, or an image that's interesting to work with, if you imagine a wheel, the circumference of the wheel is the rounds of births and deaths. It's life, it's experiences. 
and the center of the wheel is formless, the void. It's not nothing, but it, we call it the void. It's not really void. Um, and uh, when you first meditate, you're, you've got one foot, you're standing on the wheel, and one foot is on the circumference of the wheel, and you're firmly in the world. And you say, after all, there are real things in the world that have to be done. And, but you sense there's something else, so you take TM, and you meditate 20 minutes twice a day. That's sort of sticking your toe in the center of the wheel. And the weight is still on the outside of the wheel. And you're really doing the meditation in order to get back out into the world and do it better. Okay. Then, as the time goes on, and as your whole desire system changes, or as, or as your clinging loosens, and as you perceive more, as a function, in part, of that meditation practice, done to get back into the world, the balance of your feet shifts just a little bit, until pretty soon sitting down to meditate is just as interesting as turning on television after meditation. And then it's only another while and this time is no specific time. It could be lifetimes, or it could be moments, depending on your own evolutionary nature. You come to the point where the balance of your weight is shifted, and you are mainly in the void, and you have to lean to stay in form. And the tendency is that unless something pulls it out of you, you just go back into meditation and you exist in the meditative space, which is the space, the awareness, the void. And all the forms are coming and going, your entire life, all of the stuff. But you're always, the weight is shifted. Then you are a God person, if you will, who's living in the world. I am in the world, but not of the world. Right. Well, the rate at which that balance shifts must be honored. You can't make it go faster than it goes. Because the minute you try to get ahead of yourself, it gets phony. And the minute it gets phony, it's just another ego trip, and you'll have to clean it up anyway. At the same moment, there is value in pressing slightly against the system of your own attachments. You push just a little harder. You just push. Now, how you push is a function of what stage you're at. At the beginning of the process of spiritual practice, you sense awareness or sense pure love, and you look around for methods to clean up your act and you are attracted to methods that are harmonious with your karmic predicament, with your strengths. So that if you are, say, an intellectual, you might be attracted to jnana yoga, the yoga of the mind beating the mind, like you might be attracted to sitting Zen in the uh, uh, Soto school, in the school where you do koans. 
where you get insoluble problems that beat the mind with the mind. Or you might be very attracted to, say, Krishnamurti. Or you might be very attracted to the Vedas. The philosophical tracts that keep showing you the limits and forcing you through your mind beyond your mind. Or if your predilection is your heart, if you're a strong heart person, you're very attracted to chanting, to singing, to having a picture of Christ and just loving Christ, to chanting Hare Krishna, whatever. And you just pull by the heart, Sufi dancing. Okay. Well, you're very much of a rajasic, a body type person. And you're attracted to Tai Chi or Kung Fu or Karate or Sufi dance. And you want to work with your body. You're working with your strengths then. Right? That's sort of at the early stages of the game. As the game goes on, the way the strategy shifts, let me show you this strategy shift one other way. Initially, our game was to get high. We all wanted to figure out how to get high and how to stay high. But we couldn't do it. No matter how good we were at the game, we kept coming down. And the getting high wasn't only drugs, it was all kinds of methods, but we kept coming down. But we kept focusing on the high and trying to shove the lows under the rug. See? And I know with chemicals, you could get to the point where if you shoot it, shot, sniffed, took, ingested uh, enough things, you could stay high for, say, three days. Then you'd have one absolutely unbelievable down for one day before either refractory period would be over and you could start to go up again. During that day, you just split. You'd hide out so nobody would see you down. See? So you'd have one out of four days out of commission and the other three high. That was pretty good odds. That's at the beginning of the dance. But then you get fascinated because you see your predicament that high is your natural state and that the reason you come down is because these habits that you've developed of who you are and how it is and habits of emotion and body and mind grab back at you as the chemical wears off or as your experience wears off. Like you can go out scuba uh, surfing or scuba diving or hang sailing, or whatever your technique is, or motorcycle riding, or cooking bouillabaisse, or knitting an afghan, whatever it is that gets you into that space of flow. Sex, commonly used. And you're high, wow, oh, here I am again. Ah, yes. And then the sun sets, and you've got to come back to being you again. And those downs, those habits, those places that grab back up, after a while you begin to see that your work is with those things, 
not just the highs. That you know how to get high, but you keep getting thrown out of heaven. And you want to become it. So you start to focus on the lows, and then the game changes. And that's the, the advanced stage of sadhana, or the next to advanced stage. Because then you're saying, bring on the fire. You know, I want my lows. See, you really want to wallow in your low because you want to get a little leverage on your low. Get depressed, you're busy being depressed. Oh, it's shit, it's all stinks. And a teacher comes along and says, hey man, you're just depressed. See? You don't understand, it's But you hear them, see? there's a little glimmer in there. And you keep working with that glimmer until finally you can be depressed and you say, boy, am I depressed, see? There's a depression. Whew, look at that depression, see? see? And your awareness is just barely above it, just, just showing a little head above it. And if you talk about it, it'll go, it'll go under, it'll get lost immediately. Just keep it, see? Wow, there's lust. Whew, look at that. There's fatigue. There's pain. It's far out. You begin to watch all of the stuff, that stuff, the yich of life. And you're just beginning to bring awareness to it as it is there without pushing it under the rug or shoving it or saying, hey, I gotta get high, this is terrible. Yeah. You're beginning to say, I'll take it as it is then it's interesting because at that moment, the minute you understand that cleaning up your lows, breaking those habits, getting through that, bringing awareness, bringing the light of awareness to bear on the darkness of all that murky stuff is your path. At that moment, you get more hooked on your suffering than you do on your pleasure. That doesn't mean you're a masochist. You don't go out looking for it initially. Uh, you just take it as it comes. But there's plenty of it for everybody. I mean, you can at least, you can always identify with somebody that's suffering if you can't find any in your own life. But you can just look at your body, you're decaying at this moment and you will be, you'll be dead in no time. So then you're getting to an interesting space of living life because you're taking it as it comes down the pike. You're no longer saying, God, give me just pleasure and avoid the pain. You're saying, Giving, give it all to me. Give it all to me. I'll love the pleasure and I'll work with the pain. Right? As you get near the end, as your foot balance shifts so that the foot is in the center more and more, every time you come out of meditation, and I don't mean meditation sitting like meditation, I mean the space of awareness. Every time you get caught back into a desire system, the density of it is so dense 
of the clinging, of the limitations of it, that it immediately wakes you up. And you come to the point where you are so eager to get free that you're looking for the places that are stuck in you and you're looking for situations that will confront you with your own clingings. See, like at the beginning, you go to an ashram or a monastery or you hang out with satsang. You surround yourself with a community of beings who think the way you think. And then none of the stuff, the really hairy stuff inside yourself is pushed up. It all goes underground. I could sit in a temple and I could get so holy lights pouring out of my head and oh God, I'm so radiant and beautiful. <sighs> but then on my way back, it didn't even, I didn't even have to wait till I got to New York. I got as far as London. And suddenly there are all this stuff in the world saying, hey, come on, psst, psst. Come on up, pleasure. Come on. I know you're holy, but come on. I And if there's anything in you that that works on, it's going it might be down in your second chakra, okay. blood engorging your genitals, I mean, whatever it is, it's, come on, and it's in there, there it is. Because they are uncooked seeds. They're seeds that can sprout again the minute they're watered. Okay. And you can stay in very holy places and the seeds sit there uncooked. But there is fear in such an individual because they aren't free. They can't roam the world like a lion because they are still vulnerable. And you finally get to a point where you look for the hottest fires. Like we live in the middle of Manhattan or you live in Washington. Hot fires, the marketplace, all the desire systems Worldly preoccupations, power, sex, greed, greed for sense gratification, everywhere you look. And if there is stuff in you that wants all those things, you're going to know it in this environment. Okay. And once you are, have burned out the clingings in you here, then you're free because there is no hotter fire than staying right in the marketplace and cooking. Okay. This is the tough sadhana. And many people say, I can't stand the city, I gotta get out to an ashram, or I gotta get out to the country. Hey man, it's terrible in here. All they're saying is, I don't like the stuff in myself that this scene is bringing out. And sooner or later you've got to look at that stuff in yourself anyway, so where are you going to run to? But it may be too heavy for you at any moment, and that's what I mean by timing. Ramakrishna says, there is a point in the game when the tree is very delicate and you surround it with a fence so the cows don't walk on it and push it over. 
Later, the tree gets big and strong. And then the cows can rub against it and get, get light, get uh, shade from it. But there is timing in the process. And there is nothing wrong with walking away from a scene to come back another day. Like you find out, you've got to get your scene straight with your relationships with people. Because you notice unfulfilled karma. You notice that if you've had a relationship with somebody that got caught in a certain way, it leaves a thread stuck to you. And if you're going to be free, you've got to have cut all those threads. Say it's with parents or with children or with relatives. And you go back to them. And when you go back in, the habits lock in from the past. And you came into the house so holy, so full of light. I love them, I love them, I love them. And they said, wipe your feet. <laughs> and the whole thing went out the window, just like that. You know. Don't tell me to wipe my feet. I'm a grown person. I know when to wipe my feet. And there you are, right back in again, right? Then later it takes an hour before you go under. And then it may be two hours. And you can go in, you spend an hour, and then you've got to run out. And you come in, you can handle two hours, and then you run out. And finally, you just keep coming back because it's like in psychology what they call the Zygarnik effect. It's an unfulfilled task, and it keeps grabbing at you because it's karma you've got to work out. You've got to clean it up. And in the process of wanting to clean up your karma, you look about and recognize why you are in the incarnation you're in. For all of it, every aspect of the incarnation that you and I are in is a reflection of the karma each of us has to work out that we were born in 1976, that has karmic implications. From outside of time, this was not by chance, it was a selection. That we are born in one culture versus another, that we are born in with one skin color versus another, that we are born with one sex versus another, that we are born with one set of physical and psychological and intellectual characteristics versus another. With one religion versus another. You end up studying. It's like studying your hand, the lines in your hand. You study the, the predicament of the life to see where your work is what it is you have to do with this incarnation to get free of the clingings that determine the manifestation in the first place. Because, this is really hard stuff to really, who you turn out to be is a subtle is a gross manifestation of a set of subtle thought forms. It's the same way in which desires affect perception, but this is even more profound. It's the way desires affect manifestation. 
the way desires affect perception. If you're going through a town and you're hungry, you notice donut shops and pizza parlors and restaurants. Okay. But if there's a funny knock in your car's engine, you notice garages, you know, and automotive supply houses. Per perception is determined by motivation. Or you could say karma determines manifestation. You and I walk down the street, we each notice a variety of things, only a very few of them overlap. You may notice a bird, and I notice a well-dressed, affluent, powerful-looking person. You may notice a sexy person, and I will notice uh, a, a poor person. What it is we see, what world you and I live in, we're each living in the world that is the projection of our own karmic attachments, if you will. You're living in your world and I in mine. What is overlapping between us is what we don't even notice because we all have it. And that is the set of clingings that led us all to incarnate on this plane in the first place. You hear that? that too heavy or you? I don't know whether I, you're even here, you know. Say it again. Run it through again, Sam. You and I live in very different worlds. I've often used the example, well, I'll run it through first before I digress. We live in different worlds because we focus on different things because of our desire systems. I focus on donuts and you focus on strudel because of your history and my history. However, there are certain things that we are perceiving and are doing in the universe that you and I are both doing that isn't different between you and me. In fact, it's common to everybody that is human. Those are the clingings that determine that we meet on this plane. Specifically, they are the clingings to senses and to thought. Giving you straight Buddhism now. It's not Buddhism, but Buddha talked about it. Because if you weren't attached, like if you sit down and meditate, do a meditative practice, and you start to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and your breath gets quieter and your body gets stiffer, and your thoughts flow by and you go into the space which exists around the thoughts and in the thoughts, and you get quieter and emptier, pretty soon you notice the senses working, but you're not being the listener or the seer or the smeller or the taster or the feeler. They're just all doing their thing.
For example, sometimes when you're reading a book, you get so fascinated with a book, you don't hear something that happens around you. Somebody walks in a room. You didn't plug up your ears. The ears are hearing, but your awareness is not attending to your ears hearing. They are attending to your eyes looking and to your thoughts thinking. Do you understand that? Hmm? Anybody there? Yeah. Okay. If you could imagine now withdrawing your awareness from your eyes seeing and your ears hearing and your nose smelling and your tongue tasting and your skin feeling. You don't stop them, they're going on, but your awareness is withdrawn. Then what you're left with is your thoughts thinking. And it is now you are ready to withdraw your awareness from your thoughts thinking until thoughts are going by like a river and awareness is. The minute you think I am aware that's a thought, that's not awareness. When you have become just awareness and there is no more you being aware which is a thought and you're not clinging to senses or to thoughts, you are no longer here in your body. You have entered into states of samadhi in which your awareness is somewhere else. And in those somewhere else's lies realms and realms and realms of equally valid reality to this reality. You may go on to planes of existence where you meet lots of other beings that don't even live on this plane. The psychic realms, the subtle realms, the astral realms. You may go into planes of existence where there are just patterns of energy or thought forms like Plato's world of pure ideas where there isn't even forms of humans, there's no emotional content, there's just ideation. You may go into a realm of awareness where there is no separation. It's the, what's called the zeitgeist, the homogeneous white field. It's the one, the ancient one. It's all the same thing. It's just all one stuff, undifferentiated stuff. Each of these is a plane of relative reality which is equally as real as this auditorium is. The reason this auditorium seems so real to you is because of your attachment to your senses and to your thinking mind and because you hardly ever get a chance to get outside of that attachment. So you hardly ever leave this realm of reality except when you go to sleep and you go into dream states which you treat as slightly um, suspect. Although when you're in them they certainly seem real enough, don't they? Okay. Well this is another one of them. And you'll awaken from this one too. And you'll say, far out, it was just another dream. Far out. And all the time. But didn't you say that in the dream last night? It's no different. And don't some of your dreams seem to have long time durations? Do you know how long they take? Like that. When people say, my whole life flashed before my eyes? Like that. 
Buddha looked back and at one second he saw his last 99,000 incarnations. Like that. The mind is working at the rate of one trillion thought forms per second, sequentially. And when your awareness is not limited by its subtle attachments and clingings, you can get to the point, as Buddha did, through the depth of the meditative looseness where he could get outside of time and he could watch every one of those thought forms come into existence, exist, and die. A trillion a second? What is the time and space domain of awareness? Awareness has no time and space domain. It can become microscopic, it can become telescopic. Who you are is so vast and so tiny and so all of it, it's absurd. Who you think you are is a very limited situation within a limited range of possible sensations, information, and realities. And what is common to all of us that have taken birth on this plane is that we are all hooked on our senses and our thoughts. Simple as that. What is liberation then? Does it mean leaving here? No. It means leaving being hooked. It means non-clinging. It doesn't mean pushing away this plane. There's nothing wrong with this plane. This plane is as beautiful as any other plane. This is God, too. What do you think? God has no form? God's form as much as no form. I remember there was a long period of time in which I had a very subtle, subtle hang-up about the grossness of this plane and the fineness of these higher states. I call them higher, and I'd say, I'm going higher, and I've got to come back to this. It's so gross. Okay. And then I was drinking one night with Alan Watts, and Alan said to me, you know, it's interesting. When you think of it, God is the way you see God clearly is, as it comes through the planes. When you get to this plane, it's like focusing a microscope. The stuff gets the clearest because it is the most discreet and heaviest and densest and you can see it most clearly. So in a way, this is the clearest statement of God, this plane. All of the rest of them are equally God, but the others are kind of hazy and you start to get clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer until here it is, there it is. There's God. Right there. A liberated being is a being who clings nowhere doesn't cling to enlightenment neither clings to nirvana or samsara neither clings to the form nor the void neither clings to getting done with life nor to life there's no clinging ah oh, as it is i am
What's to fear? You only fear if you have a model of how it has to be. No clinging, no fear. No fear, no grabbing at the mind. No grabbing at the mind, pure awareness. Pure awareness, hearing it all. Hearing it all, all the actions that come through you are harmonious with it all. They are all dharmic. You have become a statement of the dharma. You are like a tree, like a river. You are the dharma. That's it. That's what you become. Not my, but thy will, O Lord. Timing. Just go at the rate. The simple rule of this game is honesty. Listening always to hear the voice. You can call it the still small voice within if you're a Quaker. You can call it the guru within. You can call it God speaking through you. You can call it the, the breath of Christ. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But you're listening to hear that law, to hear the, the whisper, to hear that higher wisdom that is in you already. You're just listening by quieting, by letting go of that clingy stuff. And one of the ways of letting go of that clingy stuff is the practices of meditation. And you end up meditating just because you yearn so to become who you are. And there are all kinds of forms of meditative practice. You can do mantra, you can follow your breath, you can just expand outward with each breath, shunyata. You can focus your eye on something and develop the power of one-pointedness, strategies of meditation. The simplest thing you can do, just bring, start to bring your mind to one point. Not because that one point's any better than any other point, but because that will start to show you the way in which your mind is grabbing at your senses and at your memories and plans. So you say, for the next 20 minutes, I will just follow my breath in and out of my nose. We'll just do it now for, say, two minutes. Okay? I won't push you. Just for two minutes, follow the breath in and out of your nose. And every time a thought comes, like I'm following the breath in and out of my nose, or this isn't going to work, or I'm tired, or I wish you'd talk about bloop, or whatever, just it's another thought, let it go by, and go back to following. You'll see how, how wild your own mind is. Okay, begin now.
Om. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.